Hello and welcome everyone to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, joined as always with Hooks Orpic himself, Jim Rixner. Jim, how are you doing? Doing great. Welcome everybody. Thanks for joining us. Episode 36 of the Pensburg Pod. Garrett, who's your favorite number 36 in Pittsburgh Penguin history? We have a couple of more options than we've had the last couple of weeks. A couple, uh, I, uh, let me preface that. I, I guess a couple of more names that I recognize for, on the list that you sent me. We have longtime Wilkes-Barre Scranton man, Tom Kostopoulos, uh, Jeff Zatkoff, Yusu Jokinen. You're probably going to pick one of these later, unless you have a, unless you have another crazy story from another I'll early. That's you. Who you got? All right. Let's see. I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Mr. Game 1. I'm going to go with Jeff Zatkoff, the guy that got that ship rolling back in 2016. I think you remember, Jim? I think it was the first game against the Rangers. I think it was the yep. Rangers series. Yeah. I, I don't know if he wore that number for very long. I think I he has another one coming up. But Yeah, I think he's like yeah, 37 or 38. But yeah, I'll go with Zatkoff, and I'll call him Mr. Game 1. Jim, who do you have for number 36? Easy one. The biggest pest, I think think that there ever was in NHL history Matthew Barnaby okay turn, okay turn of the century he he was crazy he was he would fight anyone and I don't know if it's probably on YouTube somewhere he fought Chara once when Chara really? was young oh yeah man. I think Chara was with the Islanders it was in the it was probably it had to be late 90s because he was with the Penguins and that was a big mismatch but he was willing to fight a young mean Chara and I always remember that so yeah that guy was nuts so he's my number 36 all right, for episode number 36 of the Pensburg Podcast, we have a couple of games to recap since our last episode, and the big talking point this week will focus on Jason Zucker once again uh, through his first four games played as a Pittsburgh Penguin. We're already starting to see some immediate results, but we'll get into that in a couple of moments. Uh, Jim, we'll start with the recap segment of the show, and we'll start off with the game against the Montreal Canadiens, a game in which the Penguins won by a score of 4-1. to And Jim, before we, we dive into the, the recap segment, I think there's going to be a common theme um, about these games that we recap, and, and the, 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 there's a a couple of patterns that I think are, are fun to look at. First and foremost, I think that there's three game stretch between the uh, Canadians, Red Wings and Maple Leafs. There has, there's a, a sense of everything's clicking for the Penguins. Uh, they're scoring at least four goals a game in all three of these contests. And the player that really stuck out to me through all of these contests is Sidney Crosby, who I think registered multi-point efforts in uh, all three of these games that we'll get into. But like I said, we'll go straight into the game against the Canadians. Uh, a 4-1 to one win for the Penguins, really dominant performance by the Penguins. The Canadians really aren't going anywhere this year. Uh, the Penguins get out to a 3-1 to one lead by the end of the second period and tack on one more goal to make it a 4-1 to one victory for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Sidney Crosby registering three points with three assists. It's also a meaningful game for Jason Zucker registering his first two goals I believe his first two goals as a Pittsburgh Penguin. Uh, that uh, Zach Aston Reese gets on the scoreboard as well. Really, uh, like I said, Jim, when I prefaced this this stretch of three games, even though it's a small sample size, it really looked like everything was clicking for the Penguins, and even more specifically, Sidney Crosby getting really great play, even if these are some lowly opponents that they're going up against right now. But is there anything you wanted to add about the game, the 4-1 win against the Montreal Canadiens? Yep, you nailed it. Just in general, it's three games. They're 
They're all at home. Combined score of 14 to four. The Penguins win. They put up a lot of goals. Um, this one, like you said, was the Jason Zucker coming out party. It was his second game with the Pens, and his first game he hadn't even had a practice with the team so he didn't look that smooth or like he knew what was going on probably because he didn't but then by the time they played Montreal on Friday he got a practice in with the team he was more familiar with their systems and their personnels and he kind of got to see what it's like to play with Sidney Crosby a little bit getting two assists from Sid like you said and yeah that's um that's what stood out to me is that it was great Great that they made the Zucker deal when they did because with with injuries and guys going down, like they needed that boost. They needed that extra energy. They needed those fresh legs. They needed the speed that he provides to kind of give them that extra gear to get going. And I think that started to show with Crosby's performance. He looks re-energized and re-inspired, and it, it just helped the team out immensely. The next game, they followed up with a game against the Detroit Red Wings on February 16th. The Red Wings, probably the worst team in the NHL. Uh, the first period, I'm not going to lie, Jim, I was a little bit nervous here. The Penguins end the first period uh, only ahead 2-1, to one, and I had a feeling that this would be like the other game, the most, uh, the other most recent game they played against the Red Wings. I think it was they, they, they won that game in overtime 2-1 to one, a couple of weeks ago. I had a nervous feeling that, they, that this would they would go down a similar path. It would be kind of tight and low scoring. And that ended up not being the case as, like I said, the Penguins end that first period uh, up two to one, but then they explode for three more goals in the second period to win that game by a score of five to one. And during the game, it looked like uh, the biggest talking point of that contest would be Patrick Hornquist registering what we thought was a hat trick that was later uh, changed by the official score uh, officially giving Patrick Hornquist two goals and an assist for three points. Sidney Crosby, a, another multi-goal, eff, uh, multi-point effort with a goal and an assist. Um, but really, Jim, the, the the finished product, the finished 60 minutes, this is what you want to see the Penguins do uh, against a team like the Detroit Red Wings who aren't going anywhere. A very convincing 5-1 to one victory. Patrick Hornquist really getting that contribution out of nowhere. I certainly wasn't expecting Patrick Hornquist to uh, have a three-point game. But if you're going to have a three-point game against anybody, I, I guess you might as well make it the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, anything else you wanted to add about this 5-1 to one victory over the Red Wings? As you kind of hinted on, slow start, the Pens falling behind one nothing, And that's been a theme for them in afternoon games. And that could be a a point to remember moving forward because they have seven more daytime afternoon games on the weekends coming up here, including two this very upcoming weekend at home against Buffalo on Saturday and then at Washington on Sunday. So the Pens need to start better in those games, but they find ways to have better second periods and win a lot of those games. So we'll see if that goes forward. But yeah, otherwise it was, it was a great game for Hornquist. It's good to see him get going, especially since Zach Aston Reese got hurt in this game and will be out on a week to week basis. So um, the pens need Hornquist to step up and step in. And now he's on that line with Teddy Bluger and Brandon Tanev. So that's, that seems like a good spot for Hornquist because they're players like him that are straight line players that are, going to forecheck hard and good with the net and do all that good stuff. So hopefully he fits in there and can help them out and maybe even give a little bit of a scoring boost because Hornquist scores more than Aston Reese does this season. And Jim, the, the two things that I want to make note of at the end of the point you were making there is that you, you, we need to see the Penguins start better and uh, 
You also talked about the the surge that they seem to be having in recent second periods, and that's a trend that carried over into the the next game they played against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Jim, Jim, I don't know if it's just me. I, obviously, I don't follow the Maple Leafs uh, very closely, but I feel like with all of the talent they have, unless they're dealing with injury that I don't know about, uh, I have a feeling every time the Penguins play the Maple Leafs that you know it's going to be like a 6-5, to 7-6 seven, kind of game with all of the offensive firepower that both of these teams have. And um, Jim, to your point, like you said, getting these better starts out of the Pittsburgh Penguins is something that uh, I, I think they took. They, they, they must have talked about a little bit because in this game against the Maple Leafs, they get out to a 2 to nothing lead. By the end of the first period, they explode for uh, three more goals in the second period to go up by a score of 5 to nothing. And uh, the Maple Leafs kind of claw their way back a little bit, scoring two goals in the second period of we- as well. Uh, but the, the final score would end a, a 5-2 to two victory for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Another very convincing game. Uh, Sidney Crosby getting a goal and three assists for four points. Brian Rust, a goal and two assists for three points. Anthony Angelo getting on the score sheet, registering his first NHL, NHL goal after Evgeny Malkin was a very late scratch due to illness. Teddy Bluger saving the world, getting a goal as well. Uh, really a com- another complete performance against what I, I always think the, the, the Maple Leafs are, are an up-and-coming, you know, like I said, an offensive-heavy team. You really didn't see a lot of that. And instead, I think this game can be described as the Maple Leafs and a really a lack of defense that they have. I think it was pretty well abused by the Pittsburgh Penguins. But, uh, Jim, anything you wanted to add in the 5-2 to victory against the Toronto Maple Leafs? They definitely did have their struggles defensively. Toronto took three penalties in the game, and the Penguins' power play scored three goals. And that or the power play for Pittsburgh has really turned around since Crosby's been back. It's hitting at 30%. So uh, having said back, and we see how he's moving the puck, and that, that seems to inspire confidence because you saw in that power play on Tuesday against Toronto that Patrick Hornquist set up Crosby for a goal that was a a beautiful pass. Jared McCann was zipping the puck around. Brian Rust is making great passes as well. So having Crosby back looks like it's really inspired the team or maybe they're feeding off him and going with it. Toronto does have a couple injuries. Morgan Riley, their best defenseman's hurt. Cody Cece's hurt as well on defense. So I think that that's hindering them a little, but obviously with the Penguins' own injuries, they're not going to feel sorry for him. you got to find a way to keep going. And yeah, they didn't they looked like um, they weren't even playing NHL hockey on Tuesday night. And Austin Matthews had a quote after the game where he said, it seems like Pittsburgh just draws the worst out of us because back in November, the Penguins beat the Leafs six to one and then Tuesday night, five to two games. So we'll see what happens when they meet up tonight. But it definitely feels like the Penguins strengths are just stronger than Toronto, what they're good at with their skill players. And then the Penguins' defense, which I guess you have to give a lot of credit, pretty much to guys like Chris Letang, Marcus Patterson, are just better than whatever Toronto has out there, or they're getting caught more. So I think that's the real defense differences. And obviously in net, Toronto already announced that Frederick Anderson is playing again tonight. He played on Tuesday, and he got hung out to dry, but he wasn't making very many saves himself. So that's a huge difference, too. Both the Penguins' goalies are rotating them every other game back-to-back. And that seems to be feeding each player, too, because it seems like each goalie is just playing better with every passing game. So I think that goalie rotation has really worked well for right now. What do you make of that? Yeah, the the, the this goaltending uh, rotation, I guess, like you said, you could call it that. Um, 
it's really, really an interesting scenario. I know we have a, a mailbag question dedicated to this goalie rotation, so I don't want to go too much into it. We'll save it for the mailbag segment. But, I mean, at, at the very least, Jim, you look at it, I think Matt Murray, uh, they said on a recent uh, AT&T Sportsnet broadcast, he's 7-1-1 one, and one in his last nine starts for Matt Murray after a really roller, coast, roller, roller coaster-esque start he had to his season. So he's really found his groove. Uh, Tristan Jari, our, obviously we know the story. He's an all-star, seemed to have uh, regained some of his stronger form as of late. We'll definitely get into it, into the mailbag segment, but you know, as it stands right now, ha- having two solid goaltenders uh, to play in front of, really, it, it has to be, I, I guess, yeah, I, I guess you could call it a momentum boost, a morale boost, because you just, you, you're putting faith in these guys, knowing that whatever they're going to face, they're going to stop. I guess it makes the defense and in turn the offense play much more smoothly, uh, much more comfortably. But yeah, I, I have, I have no problem with this current goaltender rotation as it stands right now. There is one, like I said at the start of the podcast, one big element of news that I, I think we, we, we ought to get to. And granted, this isn't a large sample size, but for Jason Zucker, playing in his first four games as a Pittsburgh Penguin, we're already starting to see some immediate results. That being, uh, that being Zucker having two goals and three points, or maybe no, four, uh, NHL, the NHL's, NHL.com scoring, either they're wrong or I'm wrong. No, okay, they're right. Four points in his first four games, an average of a point per game. Uh, Jason Zucker really is that shot in the arm, Jim, that I think Sidney Crosby in that top line desperately needed. Um, he already has three, if, yeah, if this is right, three goals in his first, what, four games? I'm losing my train of thought, Jim. But the point of the the point that I'm trying to make is Zucker's immediate impact from the trade looks to help that first line. It looks to help the power play. It looks like a complete win-win scenario after everyone in the Pittsburgh Penguins fandom and in the me- certain media circles were questioning whether Jim Rutherford gave up too much to acquire Jason Zucker. And he looks like the perfect fit, Jim. It, for whatever reason, Alex Galchenyuk did not work here. Five goals in 45 games. Jason Zucker already has three goals in the uh, the four games that he's played. So is there really, uh, what, what can you make? Even though, like I said, it's a small sample size, four games played, but the immediate returns of Jason Zucker have to be incredibly promising. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, definitely. It's, you can see it and you listed it off three goals, one assist in his first four games. Obviously that's not a scoring clip. That's going to keep up forever scoring three goals in four games, but Zucker, goes to the net he has a lot of speed um he's impressed me with his hands and close kind of some of the the skill plays that he makes and some of the pucks he sets up he set up Dominic Simone for a really good chance last night that just missed the net and you just like to see those scoring chances getting generated so consistently because when you're playing with a guy like Crosby or Zucker himself they're gonna finish you know once once they get so many chances it's not going to take a lot for them not to score they're going to find ways put the puck in the net and like I mentioned I think that's what they needed Brian Russ scored the other night but he went six games without a goal which is unusual for this year he he was kind of cooling down a little bit Jared McCann has cooled down a little bit with his goal scoring so they definitely needed that next layer of player that wasn't either Crosby or Malkin to be able to score and um, Zucker has come in at the right time he's shown you his wheels 
that he's fitting in really well and that he can keep up with Crosby. And I like the way what he's seen shown so far for how he thinks the game and the spots he goes. And you've seen Crosby find him with passes and he's been able to score because he's been in the right spot at the right angle and he's got a quick enough release to beat the goalie. So, so far, I, I think you have to say this, this, this trade is a, is a grade a two thumbs up all smiles because Zucker's really helped out and he's provided something that the Pens have needed and he's going to make them all the more deep and better as they go on a playoff run here. Yeah, Jim, I think just to put a bow on what we're talking about here in regards to Zucker, I think looking at this, the last three or so games that we've recapped, obviously um, when we started the show and the recap segment, they're all really convincing wins. And even against Toronto, who is... Uh, a fairly capable opponent, at least in my opinion. I, I, I'm not, I don't want to say that this is all the Jason Zucker effect, but it, it's, it just seems to me now that they, they, it looks like they have their first line winger alongside Crosby. Everything is, is slowly but surely looking to fall into place. You know, hope we're hopeful to get Brian Dumoulin back and maybe even Nick Bukestad back, John Marino back as well. Is there a better time for the Penguins to be heating up than now? I mean, I mean, maybe, I guess, right at the tail end of the regular season into the playoffs. But, Jim, what we're looking at here, I mean, the, the, game, against the, uh, the game against the Maple Leafs put the Penguins first in the Metropolitan Division. Uh, me, personally, I, I'm not a fan of being first in the Metropolitan Division. I think that's just a little bit of a superstition in me. But um, the fact that they are at this point um, and in this recent stretch of games with Zucker, like I said, I don't think this all falls on the shoulders of Jason Zucker since coming over from Minnesota, but I, I think this team's playing with a certain pep in their step now. I think they're finding their groove with whoever they're putting out on the ice because of injury, and this is really, really gearing up. I think it's really going to be an interesting battle for the Metropolitan Division um, between now and the end of the regular season. What do you think? I agree. Um, I disagree with you, though, that I think being first in the Metropolitan Division is a good thing because it means you're playing better than the Capitals, which is a good thing. It means you're trending up in the right direction. And um, it definitely looks like the two wildcard teams this year are going to be both Metropolitan teams, and they're probably going to finish pretty close to whoever finishes third. So I don't think it's going to be advantageous to get first in the division because you'll get a better playoff matchup. I think all the playoff matchups are pretty even. And as we saw last year with a couple of upsets in the Eastern Conference in the first round, with Pittsburgh falling, with Washington falling, with Tampa falling, it really doesn't matter once you get in the playoffs. Every team has a chance to win. So that is what it is. But the advantage would be, if it comes to it, that if it's round two, Penguins-Capitals, the Penguins would have home ice advantage. They'd have that extra game at home. They would start the series at home. And the Penguins are one of the best home teams in the league. So I definitely think there would be a benefit to finishing first. Like, there's just really nothing but positives because they're so good at home. And you want to play more at home than away come playoff time to get the matchups you want and get everything that goes with that. Alrighty, Jim. That will wrap up the, the, the main segments we have here on the Pittsburgh Podcast. We will move into our mailbag segment now for first-time listeners, long-time listeners. Those interested and want to take part in the fun mailbag segment, you can do so by following the Pennsburg Podcast Twitter account 
at Pensburg Pod. Every Tuesday, I'll send out a tweet asking for your participation in the mailbag segment. No question is off limits. We love getting all the participation, all of the weird and wacky questions, even if they're not hockey-related. Jim, like always, you'll get first crack at the mailbag segment. Longtime listener and question asker, Cole Del Vecchio, is back this week. And uh, I guess it's a perfect segue into what we were just talking about here. Out of the Eastern Conference teams who, in the, who are in the playoff picture, who would you prefer the Pens to meet in round one right now? Um, well, I guess it, it is that time of year. I'd like to get through the trade deadline to see what's sure. going to happen. We just saw Washington pick up a defenseman yesterday. The Islanders have added Andy Green. Um it looks like Carolina is probably going to do something. I don't know if Columbus is going to bother to give up more assets to get something. I don't know what Philly's thinking or what they're going to do. Um, I guess, I mean, I don't really see the Philadelphia Flyers beating the Penguins in a playoff series just on paper based on roster strength. And I don't really trust either of the Philly goalies to play well in the playoffs. So I, I would be okay with that matchup, even though it would be intense and a rivalry. You never know what could happen. Uh, if it comes to Islanders, again, their goaltending play is starting to go down, so I think the Penguins would have the advantage. But the Islanders are pretty tough to play against, and Barry Trotz has beaten Mike Sullivan the last two years in the playoffs. So I don't know if that's in their heads or in anybody's mind. So I, I don't know about that. Carolina, I guess, has its own pluses and minuses. They have a pretty good lineup, but again, goalie question marks, I would say. So um, I, I would hope that more than anything, like I said, I hope the Penguins play or finish strong and get and finish first in the Metro more than who their opponent is. So that way they can at least have home ice the first two rounds. And then I guess we'll go from there. But yeah, let's see what happens at the trade deadline to know who has got what before we get too worried, I would think, about a playoff all right, our next question comes to us from Elvis Gervis, who asked, Assuming everyone's healthy, does the buzzsaw line become the fourth line as far as ice time is concerned, or do we see them as a third line? Who then becomes the fourth line for Pitt? Seeing, the right, seeing that right now really makes me think we should stand pat for the rest of the deadline. Yeah, I've been thinking about this question. Standing pat for the deadline, I don't think I'd have a problem with it. I think... The Penguins got their man in Zucker, who they needed to bring that boost to the top six, and more specifically the first line. I think that was the biggest need after Gensel goes down. So uh, looking at what the lines that they most recently iced, um, or at least with them when the game started against the Maple Leafs, they're to the the bottom six look like Brandon Tanev, Teddy Bluger, and Patrick Hornquist. Dominic Cahoon came back. Andrew Agazzino and Sam Lafferty round out that that bottom six. Um, assuming everyone's healthy, so that would bring back, uh, that would bring back Nick Bukestad and boy, this is tough. It's a tough, it's a good problem to have here, Mike Sullivan, bring back Nick Bukestad and Zach Aston Reese. Uh, It's, 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 it's a puzzle game, Jim. I don't know. I guess the first two, the first two obvious candidates to come out of the lineup and probably go back down to Wilkes-Bear or Andrew Agazzino and Sam Lafferty. Because I, I, I don't think they want to touch that third line of Tanev, Bluger, and I, I guess you put Hornquist there for the time being. There's so much mi- mixing and matching because of so many injuries. If, 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 an, if a line is going to see their, their ice time decreased, I guess it would be the fourth line. But again, Elvis makes a good point because 
is the fourth line technically the third line? I guess that goes that just goes back to the question of the amount of depth that they have if everyone's healthy. It's a really I think it's a really complex question to answer at this moment because not everyone's healthy. Uh, we haven't gotten past the trade deadline, as Jim mentioned in the last question. J- Jim Rutherford could make another depth acquisition if he doesn't like what he's seeing from his bottom six. But I, I get Elvis to answer your question. The buzzsaw line, and I guess in my opinion, as far as ice time is concerned, yeah, I guess that would become the fourth line because you know I'm I'm really comfortable with the first three lines. I'm really comfortable with the entire lineup, the entire forward grouping as of right now. I have no qualms whatsoever. But if if you're looking to cut some ice time to get more of the better players on there, I guess it would be that fourth line. Jim, do you have any opinion at all on what you think who 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 could get the boot from this lineup if everyone's healthy? And I guess. What line would would see some of their ice time decrease? Right. Well, the team doesn't really think this is our third line. This is our fourth line. They don't. Sure. They don't break it out like that. Um, I I would think that you know if they got healthy, which like you said, that's the main question because they haven't been healthy all year. That Lafferty would be come then your thirteenth forward. He would be the first scratch, and then Agazino would be gone. Angelo would be gone. And then the question, I think, really becomes, like, how good is Nick Buke's dad going to be? Can you trust that he will be healthy? If the answer is no, uh, they don't think he's going to be at 100% by April or, or they don't trust maybe there's a chance he wouldn't, then I think you really have to look at bringing a forward in to help. If if you have faith in Buke's dad, then the third line could be, like, one of McCann or Cahoon, Buke's dad, and Hornquist, and then the normal buzzsaw line could be the other line. And, you know, whether which one's the third line, which one's the fourth line, I don't think really matters, but that's that would be how they were looking. But if you don't trust that Bukestad is ready or capable, then I think that opens a lot more questions of what they want to do. Or if you don't want Lafferty as the 13th forward and you'd rather have more of a veteran guy to step in just in case, maybe more of a center too if Bukestad is going to get hurt again or if you, you think he's a question mark, then I think it might make it might make sense to try to pick up a center that that can sit, but play if you need them. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, it all comes down to who gets healthy by when. And like you said, Jim, if, if Rutherford puts his trust and faith in Bukestad down the stretch, it's going to be really interesting to see as the trade deadline is coming up very quickly. Jim, I think this podcast will go out on, on Thursday, the 20th, the, 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 when's the trade deadline, the next week, next it Monday. Would, next yeah, Monday, the 24th. Yep. So, yeah, J- Jim Rutherford, if he's still working the phones, I guess is all any good general manager, yeah. I guess, should be. He did an interview with NHL.com on Wednesday, yesterday, when this podcast drops, and he said that they're going to get uh, injury updates on Brian Dumoulin, who has been skating on his own the past few days, he said, and John Marino by the trade deadline. And depending on this, how those updates go, Rutherford said – that will decide if they have to add a defenseman. So I think if, if they are they feel reasonably confident about Marino and Dumoulin's recovery, that they might hold hold Pat on defense, which makes sense because they have usually Ricola and Chad Ruedel as their seventh and eighth guys. And, I mean, I don't know if you bring in like a Ron Hainsey or Trevor Daly or someone from the bargain bin of acquisitions, are, are they going to be better than Ricola or Ruedel's been this, this year? And you know what you've got in those guys who've been around all year. So I would think, you know, it, it, it probably makes sense whole pad on defense if you're happy. And then hopefully no one else gets hurt on, at forward. And then they can figure out if they need one more 
like body just for a body or if they're ready with the guys they've got. Well, there you go, Jim. You answered my question. I, I didn't know. I had no idea Rutherford came out and, and gave that interview. But I guess that's what we'll have to look forward to is is that this upcoming Monday and, and trade deadline central. I guess once again, like you said, once he'll know, once Rutherford knows when uh, he gets a better idea of all of his injured players, then we'll have a better idea of, you know, if Rutherford feels that there is another major need to go out and, and make uh, another acquisition or another or a, uh, another tiny acquisition just to bolster the squad. All right. Our last question comes from, I think it's one of the better usernames I've seen on Twitter, Deep Sense of Creeping Dread 2020. Uh, this is a long one, Jim, but here we go. Recently, there's been a lot of discussion across the NHL about load management for goalies. And right now, the Pens have two goalies performing at a similar level and splitting starts pretty evenly. It's working well, but I don't think any team has ever continued splitting starts into the playoffs. The Penguins will probably move towards picking one come round one and only switching for bad performance. But if both goalies are still evenly matched in April... Would it make t- would it make sense to continue alternating the goaltenders? Well, I thought Twitter had a character limit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, that is a million dollar question. My sense, and this is just my sense, it could be wrong. I think if, if things continue like it is now, I would think by playoff time they're going to have to go one guy or another, just because NHL logic isn't that you keep rotating goalies when both are playing well. Usually a team likes to pick pick a guy, and he's our guy. We're going to ride him as far as he'll take us, that type of thing. Even when the Penguins had Fleury and Murray and they were both playing well, they would always leave one in there until he either got hurt or his play dropped off, and then they would make the switch. And uh, that's what would make sense for, for this year to me. Obviously, Mike Sullivan's history with Matt Murray kind of makes you think that that's always been his guy in the past. Maybe that's going to be his game one starter. And if game one goes well, that's his game two starter. You know, they might take it on a, on a short-term basis like that. But, I mean, Tristan Jerry, Jerry's stats this year have been incredible. So it wouldn't be shocking or I think wrong if Sullivan looks at that and says, well, this guy's been giving us the best chance to win all year. He's my game one starter. And if that goes well, he's going to play in game two. So uh, that's the question Sullivan has to answer as it gets to April. But for now, I I don't think they're still even concerned, even though they don't have an answer, because both goalies are playing well. That's always great. But we've seen this year there's been injuries, and knock on wood, thank goodness, the goalies have not been one of them with all the injuries the Penguins have had. So you never know if that question is going to answer itself or if one guy might drop off here soon and the answer will be obvious on who should be the game one starter and who to go with. But I don't really see them switching back and forth. If both are playing well, I don't think they will keep this rotation forever because uh, come playoff time when you buckle down, I think that the NHL logic is right, that you want one guy in the groove of playing and knowing he's the guy. And, you know, from a mental, so much of goal, goaltending is, is mental aspects of it. So I think they would do better if they if they knew they had the starting role, whoever that'll be. But which one that will be, I think, is still very much up in the air and very much, you know, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out because it could go, I think it could go either way. And it'll, you know, clearly be very, very interesting to see if they're both playing well, which one he goes with. Jim, this wasn't something that I put in in the uh, the rundown for the podcast beforehand, but it's something that came off of my mind just now. 
Uh, and it, this is obviously way down the line, but you know, depending on what happens uh, come playoff time, who they go with, I personally have a hunch that Sullivan will go with his guy in Matt Murray, the guy who's gotten them there before and has the hardware to, to show for it. That's my opinion. But the question that I have to ask is, I think I saw this, oh, I forget I forget where I was reading it. Maybe it wasn't an article from The Athletic, but the, the question that has to come to Jim Rutherford's mind after the season heading into the summer is what to do with these two goaltenders. What do you think the possibility is that Matt Murray plays for a different team next year, even even excluding what he does in the playoffs, knowing that he, Matt Murray is a restricted free agent, I believe, and seeing Tristan Jari's very rapid ascent into an NHL All-Star this year, do you think that it's a possibility that uh, Matt Murray, his rights could be traded to another team, another club for, for other assets? Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say there's definitely a non-zero chance that Matt Murray could be playing somewhere else next year because what if, um, to like I said, what if Tristan Jerry keeps playing well through the end of the regular season, they decide, hey, he's our guy, and whether he plays well or not in the playoffs, if he's the playoff starting goalie, and especially if he does well and takes the Penguins far, maybe all the way, I would think at that point Matt Murray would probably want to move on too. He would probably see that Jerry's the the new guy, so to say, or, you know, if, if Murray plays in the playoffs and doesn't do well, what does that make for his next contract negotiation? Because he's a free agent season after next, he'll be unrestricted free agent. So are the Penguins going to commit a long contract to him? If there's still questions, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the possibilities are really open and really endless, which is weird considering there's usually a plan and there's usually, you know, you can see how these things are going to go, but I I'd say it all comes down to what happens over these next two, three, four months, who plays, who plays well, what happens. That's really going to dictate what the Penguins moves are going to be this summer. As far as, is there a way we can sign both of these guys to reasonable deals and then kind of figure it out again next year? Or is it clear like, one of these guys is our guy, and then maybe we'll have to trade the other, which I think especially in, with Murray's resume and everything, I think he wouldn't really be the number two clear-cut next year. So, uh, yeah, that that's going to be a very, very fascinating storyline to follow on just because there are so many different possibilities of – how this could play out where at the end of at the end of the season in the summer it could be just a no-brainer to re-sign Murray to a big contract if he's the goalie that takes them far in the playoffs and they're ready to commit to him or it could go a complete 180 where he you know doesn't look like the guy anymore so yeah that's a good question and right now I mean who the heck knows which way this one might break it could go anyway Absolutely. Definitely a topic for, for another podcast a couple of months from now after the season ends, but definitely, like you said, Jim, a very interesting story to follow as we get closer and closer to the battle for Lord Stanley's Cup. Uh, but Jim, do you have anything else you want to add before we close out episode number 36 of the Pennsburg podcast? Penguins back in first place after 122 days this season. They last had it in mid-October. So hey, we'll see how long this lasts. It, it might be over by Sunday in D.C., who knows? Maybe not, but the races are definitely heating up, and the games are going to be really intense from here on out. So I hope everybody's buckled up and ready. That they will. 
Buckle up, baby. Are you kidding me? Follow along all season long. Stay notified when a new episode of the Pensburg podcast gets released. We are on every major streaming platform of choice. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, as well as Pensburg.com when a new Pensburg podcast episode gets released. Uh, follow our Pensburg podcast Twitter account to stay notified when a new mailbag question goes out. Also, follow our main account on Twitter at Pensburg on Twitter and Pensburg on Facebook as well. But for Jim Rixner, Hulk Zorpik, I have been Garrett Behanna. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of the Pensburg podcast, and we will see you next week.